tell me, who can, who can answer me? What, what is your love language? Does anybody know their love language? Does anybody know their love language? What? Quality time. Over here, Amira? Gifts. That's good. She's honest. She's honest. That's good. Anybody else know their love language? What? Coffee. Coffee. That's close to my love language too. Coffee. That's good. Um, you know, this phenomena several years ago with a book that came out on love languages um, was this idea that uh, there's kind of like five large categories of love languages and, and people um, know that you love them, whether it's a friend or loved one or spouse or family member, in terms of like how you love them and so what their love language is. And some people already know. They've probably done the test, you know. Um, mine maybe is like affection and gifts. So, you know, uh, my wife's, uh, I think her love language, and, you know, she can correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure she'll tell you later if I'm wrong, but um, time and responsibility. Time, my time and responsibility, which means nothing communicates to Franca that I love her more than when I kind of like change my schedule to make time to be at home and when I take, like, when I change the light bulb when nobody asks me to, right? So that's, that's the responsibility uh, love language. And so, so if I actually do something uh, and get to doing something around the house, that's like love, like real tangible love uh, in that way. And see, for, for love to be real, it has to be more than words, right? For love to be real, it has to be more than thoughts. It has to show up uh, with our hands and feet and not just our hearts. And in, in some ways, I think hope is the same way. We've been talking about hope this, this month. And uh, hope for hope to show up, uh, I think it works in the same way. But the question is, how do we make hope real? How do we make hope tangible? How do we make hope more than an inspirational thought or a greeting card? How do we get it to be tangible? There's a verse, just a small, a short uh, passage in Romans 15, and uh, it's an awesome, awesome phrase out of this uh, New Testament letter. I'd encourage you actually to memorize it and get it down into your heart and soul and, and allow it to become a prayer as well for you. But here, here's this, this verse in Romans 15, 13. It says this, May the God of peace, uh, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's worth reading again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, as we um, take some time this morning and um, long to understand how to make hope tangible, um, yeah, would you speak to us and speak to us through your word, through this verse and through other parts of scripture that we're going to look at this morning, God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The first half of this verse is, is really great. You know, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. So God is a God of hope. May fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. And if we kind of just take this line, if you've been with us the last uh, two or three weeks in this series on hope, it really sums up our discovery the last couple of weeks. We started off two weeks ago with Luke 15 uh, and that story about a son and a father and hope being found again. We, we, we said that every soul hungers for hope. Every soul hungers for hope. And the story that Jesus tells us in Luke 15 is a story of one who is running, for, looking for hope and the father who runs with hope. And as they meet this hope is found. And so this God's offer on the table for us with hope as he runs towards us 
as we discovered that. We discovered last week how hope is not just anchored in, in anything, but it's anchored in God's promises, in God's presence. We looked at Hebrews 6 last week in, in, in what God says and who God is. And we experience this hope as we trust him. We, we must put our trust in God and, and walk with him as we trust his son Jesus to experience the fullness of that hope. But then there's more than that. And the second half of verse 13 tells us a little bit about that. And it says, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. So it's so true that the, as the God of, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him, so that you may overflow with hope. In other words, there's this purpose for hope that's beyond just inside of us, beyond uh, just a theory, beyond even a truth. It's a sense of, of hope that gushes out of us, a hope that, that leaks out of us, right? A hope that, in a sense, that we, we would drip with hope, that we would overflow with hope as we begin to trust God and as we begin to experience his hope. If it's true that the God of hope will fill us as we trust him, then Paul, as he writes these words, is saying, then there's this overflow, and that comes out of us. And so I wrote this line, it's on the screen. Hope is not only for us, but it can be spread through us. Hope is not only for you and me. Hope is not meant just for me to keep, but it's so it can be spread through us. And that's what this overflow of hope kind of points to, this tangible uh, sense that hope matters and is active and present and can be experienced. And this is really how God works. First idea coming out of this chapter in Romans 15 is that God made hope tangible. God made hope tangible. It wasn't just an idea in God's head. In fact, the verse just before verse 13, verse 12, is, it gives us a little bit of a, of a glimpse of what this says. And Paul quotes uh, Isaiah 11, an, an Old Testament prophet, and he says this, just the verse before, he quotes this. He says, the root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. Who's this root of Jesse? He's, he's referring to Jesus. The, Jesus, his kind of like genealogical line, his bloodline goes all the way back to a king named David. And David's father was Jesse. So the root of Jesse, the son of 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 Jesse, and on and on it goes, and we actually read in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew actually opens up his gospel, giving us all these generations, like from Adam to Abraham to David to Jesus. And from King David, we get down to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. And in that arrangement, um, that became Jesus' earthly family. Matthew starts his whole gospel with this idea that God made hope tangible through a person. And Paul starts his letter, if you read chapter 1, he talks about Jesus being a descendant of David, and now chapter 11, getting to the close, he talks about the root of Jesse springing up, that, that Jesus in actual history um, be, was real and present. And so Romans is even bookended with this idea that God made hope tangible through a person, the person of Jesus Christ, God's Son. In fact, that's what Advent partly celebrates. We, we, the Advent is... is, is on one side, this anticipation of Jesus' second coming, but it's a reminder of his first coming. Paul gives us a glimpse of this in one of his letters in Galatians 4 verse 4. He says, when the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a, of a woman. God's hope became real and tangible in a person. 
John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling place among us. Hope became tangible. Today we read in worship Luke chapter 1, Mary's song. And we call it the, the Mary's Magnificent. And um, it's amazing if you catch uh, some of the verses in verse 50 to 53. Listen to how, how real this gets. His mercy, talking about Jesus, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their in- inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. That's hope for people who are oppressed, that rulers would be brought down from their thrones if they're bad, evil rulers, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Luke 4, Jesus, there's a moment in Jesus' life. Now as an adult, he goes into a synagogue and uh, he, he, pulls up, he pulls the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to read it. And Luke quotes um, this section of Isaiah that Jesus reads. And, and this describes Jesus, what he will be, who he will be, what he will do. He reads this from Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's Jesus reading this and says, closes it up and says, This reading has been fulfilled now. This prophecy has been fulfilled in this reading. In other words, he is going to do this. He is going to embody this. And every scene that follows some of these passages into the Gospels as, we can, as you would continue, you discover how God's hope becomes tangible, how God's hope becomes real. Scene after scene, hope made flesh is recorded and right to the cross where Jesus gives his life. Hope is made tangible. God makes his hope tangible. And that's an amazing thing to remember, to remind ourselves us, to dwell in, to understand that God did not just send a theory of hope. He didn't just want to inspire us with hope. He's not trying to like, uh, like rally us up, you know, with optimistic belief. He says, no, no, my hope is made tangible in my son, Jesus. But there's another part of this. And it's not only that God's hope is made, tan- that God makes his hope tangible, but that we in, in a sense, an extension of, as the body of Christ, make God's hope tangible. And, and that's part of what verse 13 at the second half really leads us to. It's not just that we get filled with hope and joy and peace as we trust Him, but verse 13, so that you may overflow with hope, so that hope may gush out of you and be real. Now, of course, that's a state of mind too, right? Like, if, if we really have hope, then we live differently and we think differently and we make decisions differently and we encourage differently and we get through difficult situations differently. Hope is obviously also a state of mind in a sense like we put, our, we put a stake in the ground and we believe. And we've read incredible stories of people who have, who have gone through incredible tragedy with resilience because they had hope, even through the most difficult times. But there's more to it. It's this overflow of hope. It's this overflow that happens now, not just that God did it, but it happens through us in our lives, and it spreads to other people. A little metaphor of this I was reminded with. My son uh, started working recently, and it's awesome because now he has money that I don't have to give him, right? (laughs) It's like uh, we were at the mall, and I said, hey, let's come and meet us at the food court. We'll eat. He texted me back. I already ate. I'm like... 
10 bucks. I just saved $10 right there. And so, so it's good. But, but what's amazing is like he, he's, I don't want to say he's become generous. He's always been generous. But now there's an overflow of resources he didn't have before, right? Um, so we have this plaque in our, uh, in our, in our living room. It says, give, uh, give as though you have plenty. And I think like for a teenager who gets a job, it's like give as though you now have disposable income, right? There's like, now there's something there. And I noticed how, how, how great he's been with like, uh, you know, buying a friend coffee or getting someone a gift or saying, I'll pay for that. Um, the other night I picked him up at work and he's like, I want to go buy this, this coworker an apple pie. And I said, why? It's like 10 o'clock. I thought he needed these. Like, no, it's their last day. Let's, I want to go get them an apple pie. They love the apple pie at Harvey's. So I'm like, okay, let's go. So we made a deal because I said, Andrew, you're better at this personal generosity than I am. But I'm probably better at like missional organizational generosity than you are. And for good reason, he's still younger. So I said, here's the deal. I'll teach you about missional and organizational generosity, and you teach me about personal generosity. And he's like, okay, Dad, that's good. So, so I need to learn, and hopefully he'll keep growing along the way. But here's the point. The point is this. When you are filled, when there's something that fills you, or when your bank account grows, but when you are filled with something, it overflows, Right? If you know and you are grateful and content with that, it overflows. And this is not just about money, but as the Lord fills us with hope, Paul says it's so that that hope would overflow to those around us. This, read this line off the screen. If you live in hope, you will give out of hope. Now, some of us just don't tap into the hope. Hope is available for all of us. But when we live in hope, when we stand in hope, when we, when we root ourselves in God's hope, then we will give out of that hope. It will come out of us. And the question is, are you holding back that hope in a tangible way to the people around you in your life, to the needs around you in our world? What's stopping you? If something is stopping you, what's stopping you? Or what are you waiting for? Because there's opportunity everywhere to give hope. It's an opportunity everywhere to make hope tangible. This a uh, few guys from Westside uh, went to see a movie a couple of weeks ago. They went to see the Justice League movie with kind of the, uh, the DC comics. And so I heard that they were going, and so I invited myself. Uh, you know, so don't tell me about events. I just might show up. But um, anyways, I, I ended up going. It was, it was, it was a fun movie. And this, as I'm watching the movie, this, just this scene just jumped out at me. And it's funny because I was thinking this series was in my mind even at the time. And um, there's this scene with, with, uh, with Bruce Wayne and Wonder Woman. And uh, if you know a little bit of the backstory in the movies before, Wonder Woman, she's kind of like a goddess. She lives like forever. Like she, in her previous movie, it was like 90 years earlier and she still looks the same, right? So she obviously doesn't change or doesn't age. But in the previous movie, she fell in love with this man and when they saved the world, this man died. So she's been grieving for 90 years and she's been like under under the, the surface, like nobody knows who she is and she just has this odd job and kind of like the whole superhero disguise thing. And so now the world is, is like in need of these people to come and help. And there's this moment when Bruce Wayne is speaking to Wonder Woman and it's really a funny moment. He just turns to her because she's doubting if she should be involved and in how much people should know about her. And he's just like, he's like, hey, come on. Your boyfriend died like 90 years ago. Get over it, Right. <laughs> And then, but then he says this line. He says, come out of the shadows and start helping. And that line just jumped out at me. When he, he calls her out, he's like, don't you know what you have? 
Don't you know who you are? Don't you know the, the, you know the power that has been gifted to you? And he says, come out of the shadows and start giving hope. And, and as that line just, just jumped out at me in the movie, I didn't know God could speak through DC Comics, but it, was just, it just jumped out at me. I thought, yes, that's true. So many of us live in the shadows So many of us have this resource of hope and this opportunities around us, but we live in the shadows. And and I think about it as Christ followers above all people in the world that have a living hope, that that the God of hope fills them with joy and peace as we trust him. As we're filled with hope of all people, we should be the ones that come out of the shadows and offer hope and make hope tangible to people around us. What does that look like? Two words just to keep in mind. The first word is that we become conduits of hope. You know what a conduit is? Like a, a pipe or, or an electrical line or something that distributes um, something to another place, right? And I kind of think of like a faucet. Like, so let me ask you a really obvious question. If you turn your faucet on at home, what happens? What, where, do, where does the water come from? Somewhere, you're like, somewhere, I don't know, it just happens, right? Um, and it, it always amazes me, every time I turn the water on, water comes out. Of course, like if I had x-ray vision and I could see through the walls, I'd see the pipes and where the pipes go, and they go then down, down to the ground and then gets to the kind of pipe on the street where the water's coming from, and I follow that pipe, that pipe gets to the, the reservoir of maybe your municipality, and either somebody fills that up or it's connected to a filtration system. But the, here, here's the beauty of the, the whole faucet system as a conduit. The water's always ready. The water's always ready to come out. Like as soon as you open the faucet, shh, water comes out. Have you ever opened it by mistake? Have you ever tried to fill up a water balloon? Oh my God, let me take that out. And, and like, cause it just squirts your face or, or if there's a leak somewhere and, uh, and, and then like it just squirts. Why does it squirt? Like once we hit it, we hit it, we were kind of nailing the wall and we hit a pipe and water just started squirting everywhere. Why is that the case? Because water, the water is just ready. It's just ready. All it needs is a faucet to turn it on. All it needs is something to trigger it. But the source is always pushing through. All it needs is an opening. And people, you and me, we're like hope conduits. We're like conduits of hope. And when we are living in hope, and when we trust the God of hope to fill us with joy and peace, we become conduits ready, ready to be just turned on to serve, turned on to help, turned on to give, turned on to love. And so when, when, some, when we meet someone or we meet or we, we encounter a need, then the faucet gets turned on, it gets triggered, and hope comes out. And we can do that in small ways, in large-scale ways. We can do that in quiet ways, in loud ways. We can do that with our gifts and our skills. We can do that with our resources. We can do that with our time but we can become a conduit of hope. Here's a question that I asked myself, and I ask you this morning. Do people around you and me get splattered with hope? Like, do people leave you feeling like they've been wet with hope? Do do people come around you and feel like there's hope overflowing, that you're dripping with hope? Do they experience hope when they're connected to me or to you? when they meet us? And I think that's such an important question because if we live in hope, if we uh, serve and trust the God of hope, 
who fills us. Paul says there's this overflow of hope. And we're right, the source is right there. That when we come up to a need or a situation, it triggers the faucet and hope comes out, but in real, tangible ways. I know that there's different ways you can be thinking about what that looks like and what that means in your own life. The next, the next two weeks, because it's Christmas and uh, because it's often a season where people are just so busy and people are loving Christmas and they're hating Christmas, they're loving the family thing and they're hating the family thing or the lack of family thing. They're, you know, it's like a love-hate relationship. People are getting overwhelmed with the busyness of it and the craziness of it. You ha- we have such a beautiful opportunity in the next couple of weeks. Here's just one simple thing because we could list tons of things. But the one way we can be a conduit of hope this season is just to be present with people, just to slow down enough to, to pause and talk to somebody and listen to them and welcome conversation with them. And maybe you might even meet them at, in the craziness of the mall, but you just want to run. But if you just pause and say, tell me, how are you doing? What's going on? Someone sent me a text yesterday. They were in a driving lesson, two-hour driving lesson, and the driving teacher was having a mess of a life and started, somehow it got revealed, and in the middle of their driving lesson, at the end of it, the driving teacher's in tears, sharing her story as this young person is partly sharing the gospel with them. At the end of a driving lesson, you can turn the faucet on and be present with people and bring hope to people. There's going to be a family member you meet that's not going to want to talk maybe over the holidays because they're going through stuff, but if you just wait long enough in the corner of the living room and just pause long enough and don't bug them too much, that they might just open up to you and you might be able to be a listening ear and maybe able to be a, a source of comfort to be able to turn that faucet of hope on. Maybe you don't have the chance to respond, but you're giving hope when you're present, but if you have the chance to respond, I'm thinking of some of the, our families that are hosting some international students as they just, just take the evening to slowly listen and care for and, and be present with these students. It's this opportunity to be present. Now, there's so many ways you can be, you can be a conduit, but that's one. I think one way is this, this Saturday. It's our Christmas celebration. I believe with all of my heart that collectively we can be a conduit of hope that we can share a hopeful message, that we can share a, invite people to a hopeful atmosphere, that we can communicate a hopeful God, that we can invite people into a new hopeful life, and we can all do that together. We have an opportunity in the next seven days to invite people in our lives to discover hope, and we can be a conduit of that. And so when I encourage you to take the, 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 the flyers, it's not going to kill us if we recycle a few. It's not going to, it's not going to, you know, we're not going to cry, but we, what do we, what do we believe in? We believe that there are a handful of people in your life that the Lord is likely already working in and they're ready. And you say, Lord, Lord, please, I want to be successful at seeing some people come to this gathering on Saturday. Lord, is there a few names you want to just put in my mind, in my heart? People I should reach out to, people I should ask, people I should invite, people I should pick up along the way, people I should make an arrangement with for supper before or afterwards, because I want to be a conduit of hope. It's two simple ways that you can be a conduit of hope in the next two weeks. But here's this other last piece of this. We can be a contributor of hope. Because when we contribute and we do our part, this is amazing what happens. We become multipliers of hope. 
That means that there's stuff going on that's bigger than us, that's beyond us, that my individual contribution cannot fully meet, but my contribution with others can make a huge difference. And so we become multipliers when we join others in making a lasting difference. You know, last week, a few Westsiders joined West Island Mission. We weren't the only ones in the room. There was like 200 people in the room. There was only 30 or 40 Westsiders. There was some inst- like influencers that were involved in all this and setting this up. But the beautiful thing is that some of us just took two baskets to a home, but together we multiplied the effort and took 260 baskets to homes in the West Island. When you contribute your time or your effort or your funds, you, you, you multiply hope. And so your contribution has a multiplying effect. When you partner with a project, when you join a ministry team, um, when you serve alongside a ministry team, especially when it's a team effort, you do, that all, you do that with others. There's a multiplying factor. I love this. You know, some of you sponsor a child, and our family sponsors a child as well, and, and it happens to be with, with World Vision. Um, and I love this idea because we know that we're, not, we're giving this $40 a month or so to this, um, to this child in, to, in this village, but we, we recognize that there's like 100 or 200 kids in this village, and so that there's other people that are also sponsoring a child, and so when we sponsor one child, there's this multiplying effect because we can't do that alone, and so there's a village of kids being multiplied. Then organizations like World Vision, they work with other local organizations and together they they network services to really build that village up. And so there's this extra layer of a multiplying factor. And now there's this collective impact just by giving $40 a month, just by saying, I'm going to sponsor this child. You become a contributor and you become part of this multiplying factor of what, how hope is being made tangible. So here's the thing. When you and I contribute to hope, hope gets multiplied. And there's tons of ways that we can do that, and we, we want to keep doing this as a church community. Um, and I could just end right here and say, you know what? Go out. Be a conduit of hope. Be a contributor to hope. Let's live in hope. Let's make it tangible. Um, but the la- last couple of weeks, and, and, I, and that, that's exciting enough for me to do that. Um, the last couple of weeks, we have been tying our, our message series of hope for the soul and city to this, this new vision we have for 2018 and uh, with this new location coming in the spring that we're working towards and planning towards and, and, uh, and just kind of all the pieces fitting together. And as I was thinking about this, I realized this is the focus the Lord's given us for the next several months to really um, be conduits and contributors of hope collectively as a church. If you are not sure what I'm talking about, the last little while we've been talking about this a lot, that we have plans to, we, we signed a lease, uh, an offer to lease for a location just half a kilometer from here, and we believe that that'll be like facilities for us to, to function as a church, to serve the neighborhood in so many different ways. And so we believe it's going to be the singular focus for this next little while because it's going to take all of us fully dependent on God to be contributors to this multiplying factor of hope. And here's why I believe that. Because I believe it's going to be a meeting point of hope. I believe that collectively, we're going to have this beautiful opportunity to have this new, um, effective meeting point of hope. Now, that doesn't take away the fact that you're a conduit of hope in your neighborhood or with your family or friends or that you're a contributor to hope in other ways or that it doesn't replace how God needs to, wants to still use you in your workplace and in your friendships and in these different ways, but it brings us together, right? 
It brings us together. So this new location for me and for us, and as we're looking towards this as a church, is really a more rooted and local and effective meeting point of hope. It's a collective conduit. And it really cre- it's really us creating the future together. And I, I don't know about you, but many of us, as we've been talking about this, we start to dream and believe that the impact we can have, the kind of, the kind of uh, relationships and community we can be building now that we have space and time in another location, the, the kind of impact we can have as we, part, as we do even more partnering with our regular partners in the neighborhood, how we can serve one another together and as we can use each other's space or offer our space for one or two of our local partners, I think of what could our tax clinic look like in this facility? How can we serve West Island Mission in this facility? Uh, you know, what kind of needs does the YMCA that serves multiple ages of people just a kilometer away how can we serve them? How can we join forces? How can we be a meeting point of hope? And of course, for the gospel, how can we in more effective ways just move our energy from the kind of like the setup and teardown and logistics of finding spaces to saying we're going to move all our energy into, we have this facility and we can, now we're going to create these meeting, this meeting point of hope. I think of the opportunities to have alternate gatherings for people that, that can't always come on a Sunday or we can't reach out to or they're in hockey and they're never going to think about coming to a church gathering on a Sunday morning. And think about the, the way we can, we can grow our alpha ministry um, beyond a few crockpots. You know, like there's just the, the potential is beautiful and open. And I wanted to share a story with you because it, it, it just... It hit me this week. I, n- I didn't think about it at all until this week. So four or five years ago, a few of us, three or four people, would pray on the steps of the bay at Fairview, Fairview Mall. And it was a great spot, 7 to 8 in the morning. No one was really there. And standing from the steps of the bay, maybe you can go to that large picture of the city, you, could, you can see like all the movement on Highway 40, you can kind of look down St. John's Boulevard. You can see the business community across the 40. So the Fairview Mall is over here somewhere. And, and on a clear day, you can even see the mountain from the steps of the bay. It's pretty awesome how you can kind of almost see across half the city. And we would just pray and intercede for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done uh, in, the, in our neighborhood, in the municipalities, in the West Island, in the city, and beyond. And I remember that just praying and interceding, kind of sowing seeds and wondering, you know, we saw some fruit from those prayers, we do believe, the, uh, that, that season or two later. But there was some pieces of that. I remember some of our locations team at that time, we were talking about, hey, what happens after West Island College? Where do we go if we need to move? And, and um, this one thing that we always tried to be really um, valued around, we said it would be so amazing if we could be within a two to three kilometer radius of Fairview because that's really the hub of the West Island and even of the city, of of the region, not the city, the western part of the the city. And I just thought, like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could be, like, two to three kilometers and then things would pop up and, and, and then, you know, it'd be, like, eight kilometers away or in Lachine or further away or in an obscure area. And then just this week, I thought, I got to, how far, I thought, is this place to the Brunswick place? So I Google mapped it, and it was like 450 meters. I'm like, that's pretty close. And then I said, well, how far is like Fairview to to 115 Brunswick? So I Google mapped it, and I realized, if you can go to the Google Maps, I realized like from Fairview to that middle point is two kilometers exactly. And I thought, that's amazing that this space at the corner of Tecumseh and Brunswick is exactly two kilometers from the hub of the West Island. 
And we just thought that'd just be impossible to find a space or a, something at a cost-efficient place for something like that. And I, it just hit me. I thought, Lord, thank you so much for how you lead and guide because we couldn't have even made that happen or forced that to happen. We could just follow along some of the dots being connected along the way. And so here's what we're doing today. Today, as we think about this beautiful opportunity that's coming in 2018 and We want to just open up today, for the first time, we want to officially open up an opportunity for us to begin resourcing this new uh, vision moving forward. In January, we're going to start laying out kind of like what it fully looks like and, uh, uh, you know, just a clear strategy. And and we know that we have a goal in in 2018 and uh, and beyond to raise up, you know, about $280,000 as we move towards this. But here's the thing we want to just start today. We want to open up this fund today. We say today we want to start. Today we want to begin sowing seeds for the future. So today we officially open up this fund and say we can start fueling this. We can start resourcing this. We can start giving for this. And so I want to just, I wanted to uh, kind of almost end our gathering before we we begin uh, just a short time of worship again to say you have an opportunity to begin giving to this fund today to start sowing seeds for 2018. And here's why. We don't want to waste time. We don't want to waste time because it's so important that we begin this journey. It's so important that we start. In fact, it's too important to wait. We have this opportunity before the end of the year for for how the Lord will be leading uh, many of us to just begin feeding this and seeding this. And so my ask to you today is, will you begin in some capacity um, to start seeding this new project moving forward. There's going to be ways that God's going to speak to you in the new year for sure as we lead up to kind of like an official launch, but today we're officially opening this fund. And um, just different ways that you can do that. One is you can obviously be doing that through our offering box today and on Saturday night. Um, If you get a check to us this week, that's a way to do that. You can do that online right up until December 29th. And the only thing you got to do is to make sure you write new location uh, on your check or as you give. And, uh, but here's something really important I want to share with you as, as, a, as, a, as our pastor and really a personal conviction, and I'll tell you why in a second. I, I really believe these gifts, however they come in, whether the Lord leads you to do that before the end of the year or as the Lord leads you in 2018, really needs to be financial gifts that are above our regular giving. And here, here's why. Well, one, just in a bare you know, honesty, we just, we need to keep fueling our ministry. If we, if someone um, removes a thousand dollars from regular giving to a new fund, then we suffer in how we do ministry here. So that's important to understand. Secondly, we just really believe the Lord is calling us to a, a greater sacrifice for a season and how we can move towards this. My wife and I have been talking about this and praying about this and and I've been hearing uh, really cool early news of, of how the Lord's speaking to a few people, and, uh, and it's, really, it's really encouraging. Um, I can't really say much of it from the microphone, but it's just so good to hear. Um, but my wife and I have been thinking about that and saying, okay, we want to be, be forerunners. We want to be people who, who start this, who seed this. And so we just made a commitment. You know what? Even before this starts, as it starts today, before 2018, we are going to just commit to this above and beyond our regular offering as a significant um, donation because we, j- we feel strongly about it. We feel that we can't outgive God and that God won't let us hang. And we read today how he just gives in abundance because he is an abundant God. And so just as a personal commitment to you, this is not something I'm asking us right now or in 2018. Hey, come and do this and have a great time trying. <laughs> it's something that's really personally even we're convicted about 
and we are committed to making a sacrifice. In fact, today I was struggling with, do I, do I write this check today? And something in my heart said, just give it today, Dave, and be, be, the, be the seed. Um, and so I did, and I just honored the Lord with it. That might not be how the Lord leads you, but that's how the Lord was leading me in a sense of just kind of being a forerunner in this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just ask us um, just to take a moment here as we come to the close of this gathering. Um, there's, we're going to put a song on the screen, and the song, I think, really helps all of us, uh, not in just this project we're talking about, but in how we want to be people of hope, how it starts with letting God have everything, letting God use us, letting God work in us. So take the next few minutes, listen to this song. The band's going to come up after that, and we'll continue in a short time of worship. Bless your name, Jesus. Father, we come to you in this moment, we, and we surrender. We give ourselves fully to you, God. God, we thank you that you are the God of hope that fills us with joy and peace as we trust you, as we trust you. So God, we just, we determine right now in this moment to trust you, to give you all that we have and all that we are. And for you to determine how you will use us and lead us and guide us and convict us. How we will be conduits of hope in our world, in our relationships. How, will we be, how we will be contributors of hope, God. How we long to be part of something that has a multiplying factor. We want to do our part, God. And so, God, as we consider um, next few days and weeks how you will use us to be spreaders of hope, we just want to say yes and respond as you see fit. And God, in this particular season as a church, we, Westside, we, we surrender to you. We give all to you. We, we say you can have it all, God. And in turn, God, we just long to be partners with your mission with your purpose. We long to obviously be conduits of hope, but we long to see this this fresh meeting point of hope become a reality, to bring you glory and honor, to have opportunities, God, to spread hope, to give hope, to proclaim hope, to be hope, to even receive hope, God. So God, as we open up this new location fund today, we, we give that to you. We surrender that to you because it's all yours. And would you lead us and guide each and every one of us, especially those of us who call Westside home? God, we, we pray, we surrender our hearts to you. We, we surrender as fun to you. We surrender this new location to you, God. And as we, we just start early on, before 2018 even starts, God, we just put a stake in the ground to be conduits and contributors, and particularly, God, with a focus in this vision, Lord. So would you speak and may you give us the courage and grace by the power of your Holy Spirit to respond because you long for us to overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. So it's your spirit that will lead and guide and convict and sustain us. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, God, we pray. And even now, God, before this even becomes reality, we're, we, we bring to you this coming Saturday, God, we pray for people that will be in the seats, people that will be brought 
by friends and family members, God. We pray for them right now in this moment. We give them up to you, Lord. We long for them to hear the hope that is found in Jesus. May we be good stewards of this evening. May we give all that we have. May we uh, pursue it trusting that you're at work, God, in us and through us and in those who will be here, God. Lord, we pray for those who come with just a, a, a place of influence in our society, that walls would be broken down and their hearts would be transformed. We pray for some that will come, God, that feel like they're poor and powerless, that they will be lifted up and know your hope, God. May we be able to witness this and be part of it, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.